Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. Well, what is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Monday, September the 9th edition, a therapy edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, 59 to 10 or otherwise, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we'll get to the five takeaways from the game. We're going to go position by position, eviscerate the coaching staff, and get into a few news items. Jesse Davis's contract extension, a possible mutiny in the works reportedly, and we'll get to the weekend in college football. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter. You can follow the show at Lockdown Fins and check out our post game recap column up on LockdownDolphins.com, along with the college quarterback scouting report and all the other written news for you guys on this Miami Dolphins football team. We've got a busy, busy show. Let's jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. By now, you guys know what happened. It was an absolutely dreadful showing. 59-10 to 10 in Lamar Jackson and Hollywood Brown's homecoming to South Florida. The quarterback threw five touchdowns. The receiver had two of his own. It was the worst home defeat in franchise history as the Ravens had 42 points on the board at the halftime break. Everything that could go wrong in this game did go wrong. And you'd have thought that maybe Matt Burke was back on the sidelines with the way this game went. More on that in a minute. But first, the stats from the game. The Ravens outgained the Dolphins. Are you ready for this? 643 to 200 yards, more than tripling the Dolphins' output. They ran the ball for 265 to Miami's 21. They passed for 378 compared to Miami's 179. The Dolphins committed nine fouls for 64 yards compared to Baltimore's four for 40. The Dolphins were three out of 10 on third and fourth down conversions. Baltimore, nine for 13, a whopping 69.2%. The Ravens had three sacks. Miami had one. Time of possession went 40.07 to 19 minutes and 53 seconds of possession for the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins also allowed 12 additional quarterback pressures and six tackles for loss. It was an absolute tire fire disaster game from the beginning all the way through to the very end. And we're going to get into our position by position breakdown. But first, let's go ahead and start as we do every Sunday during the season with the five takeaways from the game. And first, the issue of tanking. It's pretty clear at this juncture that they are doing just that. Remember when I told you guys on Friday that I got a note from a source inside the organization that told me that I get it? Again, go back to the State of the Franchise article and you can find it there. That's the plan. And today's game, if you needed it to confirm it, does confirm that plan to the nth degree. Is it good for the game? Probably not. Is it dreadful to experience the actual tank as a fan? Yes, unless you accept it for what it is. Then honestly, it's really not that bad. Can it work? Of course it can. Look at the Astros and the Cubs in baseball, the Sixers in basketball, and where they were after where they came from. You can throw the Browns in my face right now after that game today, but it was just one game. The NFL is always weird in week one, and I actually probably put the Dolphins game in that category. Not that they're going to be a good team, but this was an anomaly of sorts. 
Roberts. Remember, this Ravens team has outscored Miami now in the last three games, 137 to just 16. So Miami more than doubled their point total against the Ravens. I guess we have that going for us. And lastly on this takeaway, is the quarterback the difference? Well, you do need a good team. That is for sure. I will not argue that. But tell me how you think the Cardinals are feeling right now about getting their shot at the first overall quarterback in 2019 compared to 2018 when they had the fifth quarterback off the board in Josh Rosen. Just one year after one of the most historically bad offenses the game has ever seen, their number one overall quarterback stinks up the joint for a half and then turns on a switch and hits 17 out of 21 passes en route to an 18-point comeback that eventually winds up in a tie because the defense gave up a field goal in overtime after Murray got the field goal too. The point here is that quarterbacks, they're kind of important. Takeaway number two, it revolves around the mutiny. As reported by Pro Football Talk, he said, Mike Florio, that multiple Dolphins veterans got on the phone with their agents after the game and asked to get out of this situation, saying they want no part to do with the Dolphins tanking for Tua Tungavailoa. So who could this be? Daniel Kilgore, Rashad Jones, Kenyon Drake, Albert Wilson. We know that it's not Xavier Howard. He came out and publicly stated that he was here for the long haul. And it's also not Devon Godshaw. He put a tweet out there saying, we will be back. But how many of the guys that want to get out of town were important factors in a 49-point loss? Seven touchdowns. I bet you there was a few of them. And if you can bring draft picks back, those are more important than those players are for this team right now in this long-term two, three-year rebuild. It is a concern for Flores, however, as this coaching staff was completely outclassed in every which way possible, making incorrect decisions and having communication breakdowns and the like. And you go back to the article that I wrote back in the summer talking about you have to choose one between Tua Tungavailoa or Brian Flores because first-year coaches that wind up with the first overall pick, they usually don't survive. Can he survive this? Can Brian Flores rally the troops amidst a mutiny? I'm not sure if he can if they play like this every week, but they will play better. They're going to have to play better. They might lose every damn game or 15 or 14, but they just have to be better for us to have confidence in Brian Flores. Takeaway number three, the concerns in the secondary, and this is where the coaching stuff really comes into play because I thought Matt Burke was gone, but we saw so many blown coverages and communication issues and the middle of the field being completely vacated by guys like Minka Fitzpatrick, Bobby McCain, and Eric Rowe with a lack of effort on the entire day. We saw Xavier Howard get targeted once in this game and he damn near picked it off but everybody else was dreadful and you can just go away from Xavier Howard because apparently the rest of this secondary is not ready for prime time and they were flat out awful in this game that group has to get better that's supposed to be one of the best units on this team and they were the worst of the defense today number four on the takeaways list the inactive list was very strange Ken Webster that's given Miles Gaskin Patrick Laird okay that's totally fine Trent Harris, the new defensive end. But what about Shaq Calhoun, Chris Reed? Isaiah Prince was on there too. But Calhoun and Reed, these guys were potential starters on this team at one point throughout training camp. Calhoun was the starting right guard for five weeks throughout camp, and now he's inactive. They're using new guys like Avery Moss and John Jenkins and Danny Isadora and Julian Davenport over guys that were in the lineup for a month straight previous to that. That's very strange to me. That right there, in addition to the moves they made the last couple of weeks to overturn 20% of their roster, which is now gone from what it was one week ago, tells me they are flat out tanking to the nth degree, to use that phrase one more time. And the number five takeaway, is there going to be a fall guy from all of this? And if there is, 
I talked about Brian Flores. It has to be Chris Greer because you might just have to do something to appease your fan base when you come back with this grand plan for next season. And with Greer's batting average in the draft right around 400, which is great in baseball, but not great when it comes to drafting players in the NFL, especially when you consider that to be contributing players the last few years, probably closer to more like 300 or 250 on actual impact players. And I've gone to bat for Chris Greer as far as his draft success in the past, but you wonder what gets attributed to him and to other people. But it might be a tough sell to the fan base if you go into this potentially franchise-altering offseason, which it will be one way or the other, good or bad. If you come back with the same guy, can you sell that to this fan base? I'm not sure if they're going to buy on that. So I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just going to be really difficult to come back after a 1-15, 0-16 season and give this exact same regime back to the Dolphins fan base and expect to sell season tickets. Okay, you still with me there? Knock on wood if you're with me. Ah, probably not. That was brutal. Maybe we go grab a bite and then come back for segment number two. What do you say? Because if you had a long day at work like me and you're still stuck in the office at 7.35 Pacific time at night, open up the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered right to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked on. And if today's performance did not discourage you from going back to Hard Rock Stadium for a Dolphins game this year, or college football, or a concert, whatever it is, let Vivid Seats be the one that gets you to the game or to the event you want to see. We all love a night out, whether it's seeing our favorite band in person, or being there in the crowd to cheer on our Miami Dolphins. And with the Vivid Seats Reward Loyalty Program, you can attend the concert or show of your choice and earn credit towards your next live event. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you want to go to. You can go check out the Miami Hurricanes, the Miami Dolphins, the Miami Heat. Whoever you want to see, you can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice. All of that on the Vivid Seats app. And with the loyalty program, Vivid Seats will reward statuses ranging from MVP to Hall of Famer, where customers can earn from 10% up to 16% credit on all their purchases through the app. Just go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program and will enjoy credits on all their purchases as part of Vivid Seats Rewards. All Vivid Seats confirmed orders are backed by a 100% guarantee. And for a special time right now, enter promo code KICKOFF at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100 on your order with Vivid Seats. Again, promo code KICKOFF at checkout to receive a discount of $100 with Vivid Seats. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Through just about all of 2019, I would say, is how long you're going to slide. Probably going to have to separate your sides. And if we're going to have to find all this misery here with our own Miami Dolphins team, we're going to have to find misery in others to laugh at in order to survive this season. And what better miserable company than the New York Stige, those stinking Jets up north. They blew a 16-point lead today, and there's this tweet from Cian Fahey. I think that's how you say it, Kian Cian. Less than a month ago, Adam Gase blamed his former quarterbacks for why his offense was so consistently cautious, and he said he was excited to open things up with Sam Darnold. Today, 18 of Darnold's 30 qualifying throws were within four yards 
of the line of scrimmage. Never change, Adam. We love that about you. How about our own quarterbacks? Let's go through position by position real quick and talk about this game. We already buried the coaching staff, talked about all the changeover, 60% roster changeover from last year now to this year. And two of those new guys are in the quarterback room. The starter, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen both played today. Now Fitzpatrick completed less than 50% of his balls. He was on his back almost every single play. But the work that he did to evade those consistently compromised pockets and stretch the field a few times going deep was actually pretty impressive. It was fun to watch Fitzpatrick pick himself up. I legitimately felt bad for him at times because he was getting blasted and buried. And his interception, now that was vintage Fitz. He misidentified a two-deep post-snap rotation and somehow failed to account for Earl Thomas, the best safety since Ed Reed played, and he made Fitzpatrick pay with the interception. He did, however, throw a touchdown pass, which makes him the first quarterback to ever have a touchdown for eight different teams. Josh Rosen was one for three with five yards and an interception. His pick was a terrible ball, but Jakeem Grant did not help him back by coming back to the football. That would have helped big time. And the running back position, well, so much for using Kenyon Drake early and often. He had just 12 yards on the game on four carries. He had two catches for 15 yards, so he touched the ball six times. They attempted to get it to him seven times, not nearly enough for a team that said they were going to feed him the football over and over again. But you ask me about this position, and it's night and day who's better between he and Kalen Balazs, who had five carries for negative one yard, but Drake just looked consistently way Way more explosive than Balazs in the few touches he got. And he had an awesome blitz pickup, which you can see on the article on LockedOnDolphins.com. At wide receiver, Devontae Parker made the catch of the day, fully extending up over two defensive backs and hauling it in. He only caught three of his seven targets, but he had 75 yards, which of course is better than 10 yards per target. A good day for Devontae Parker. Preston Williams owns the lone Dolphins touchdown on the year, and it came in familiar fashion as Williams went across the end line of the end zone as he did all training camp long in these goal-to-go situations and snabbed a beautiful touchdown catch after he had a great release off the line of scrimmage and then stacked the defensive back to get himself wide open in the end zone. My only other note on a receiver was that Albert Wilson looked absolutely distraught and discouraged. He left the game with an injury. I think they said it was a calf different than the hip. So he is now out again, apparently, but he walked off the field early in the first quarter after the Dolphins went three and out after a 21 point deficit was mounted. He looks very disgruntled at tight end. Durham Smythe opened the game as the starter, but both he, he and Nick O'Leary rather did not get a target. And by only rushing the ball 12 times, those 12 personnel types of tight ends didn't see much action in this game. Mike Kosicki was the team's second leading receiver, only caught two of his six targets, but picked up 31 yards, 26 of that on one play. And he continues to look to me like a guy that could have a function in this offense long-term as a flex tight end piece. On the offensive line, it was a disaster. We'll talk about Jesse Davis here in one second. He had a rough day. Julian Davenport almost got Kalen Balaj and Ryan Fitzpatrick both killed. Daniel Kilgore had an awesome block in the middle after right guard Danny Isadora completely blew a protection call on top of another pass blocking rep where he was just completely blown by Pernell McPhee where he barely got a hand on him and had a free rusher come in on Ryan Fitzpatrick and Michael Dieter pitched in with his own pass protection issues. This offensive line was a travesty in this game. You can see the videos up on LockedOnDolphins.com. On the defensive line, I talked about John Jenkins and Avery Moss who were out there significantly in the game on Sunday. Both those guys kind of got their backs turned a lot in the running game and just didn't do much with pressure in the passing game. 
Christian Wilkins had kind of a slow start, and he got knocked back badly on one of Baltimore's touchdown runs, but he responded and played one of the better games, not saying much, of the defensive line for the Miami Dolphins. And the same was true of Devon Godshaw. I talked about his tweet. He tweeted back an image of himself and said, we will be back with the arm flex emoji. So he is definitely one of the guys that still wants to be here. Charles Harris looks like preseason right now was fool's gold. He was on the milk carton. And Jonathan Ledbetter is a fit and a find from this scouting staff. He is really falling in line in terms of the expectation for what you have to do to play on this defensive line, but also a couple of hustle plays will really stand out on tape for the coaching staff. Now, the secondary was big time disappointing. Let's cover that real quick and then come back to the linebackers since we already touched on the DBs. You guys know about Fitzpatrick's bad day. He was just slow roasted throughout the course of the game. He got put in a precarious position where he had man coverage against Hollywood Brown in the slot inside with a 12-yard cushion in more of a safety type of position and no safety help beyond him. And Hollywood Brown went right at Fitzpatrick, pressed his toes, which means Fitz has to guard the sticks because it was a third down play and then Brown went right through him for the post route and Lamar Jackson found him because of ideal pass protection and it was a big touchdown on Fitzpatrick. Jamal Wiltz got burnt for two touchdowns, including a vertical route from Willie Sneed, who is not at all known for his speed. That rhymes. Eric Rowe was terrible in this game. His effort level was very concerning. He got lost in coverage a couple of times and really didn't appear to be interested in the second quarter and beyond to making plays. I don't know that I blame him. I'm just telling you what I saw. Rashad Jones had a pretty typical Rashad Jones type of day. His weak side C-gap run stuff is as given as anything in the National Football League. And Bobby McCain had a dreadful game in this one. The safety experiment. And then injury was added to insult as the shoulder that kept McCain on the injury report all week was re-aggravated and he had to leave the field. But he was out there for some of the coverage busts, those vacated zones in the middle of the field. He had a very rough go. And let's move back into the linebacker group as we finish this position-by-position review of the 59-10 to loss for the Dolphins on opening day here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And this linebacker crew was the position group that I was most excited about this season, but it was a swift departure from what we saw in preseason and through training camp. Sam Egwavon was exposed in this game time and time again, trying to defend the edge. He just looked way too light, got tossed aside pretty easily, whether he was off the edge or filling inside, and he got beat in coverage on a few of ca- a few occasions. The same was true of Raquan McMillan. He had that one nice run stuff early in the game, but he got caught in coverage, which is not his strong suit, had a terrible run fit on a Ravens touchdown run, and then eventually left with an injury of his own. And Jerome Baker, his hot camp in preseason did not translate in this game. I know it really didn't for anybody on this Miami Dolphins football team. And there are a few folks who are concerned about his fit in this defense because of his size. And those limitations showed up in this game. He just has to get stronger. All three of those guys have to play better for this defense to work this year and to put them back in games and not allow 638 yards and 59 points to cap it all off. But to recap this whole thing, this is probably going to be the painstaking norm for the season. The Dolphins lopped off most of the talent that it had back in the winter and then really confirmed that message with their moves the last few weeks over the course of the end of training camp and the summertime. But you go back, what really would have Jawan James and Cam Wake and Ryan Tannehill and Kiko Alonso gotten you? Maybe a 38-17 to 17 loss? And then we're 0-1 and we don't have the resources for next year. This idea that the Dolphins should find a way to put good pieces on the field without really any 
idea or knowledge as to how to do that is a little bit too much for me because they had to make this step to get out of their own shadow and to do something different that has led to year in and year out of six, seven, eight, maybe the occasional 10 win season, two playoff years the last couple of decades now. And the Dolphins are finally making an attempt to get out of that horrible mediocrity wheel of perpetuality and find themselves in a position to make a run two or three years down the line. It's going to be painful now. Just deal with it. The draft is 227 days away. That is when the light at the end of the tunnel comes. And on the other side of the podcast, we'll discuss the college quarterbacks from the weekend. We'll break down what Jesse Davis's contract means. But first, if you guys are broken like the Miami Dolphins are currently broken and you don't have a full offseason to repair your member just one night, then you've got to check out Blue Chew. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work, unlike Julian Davenport at Right Tackle. You can take them anytime, day or night, maybe at 1 o'clock Eastern time on a Sunday afternoon, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever your number is called. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Even if you don't need it, Mrs. Wingfield enjoys them. I enjoy them. You're going to enjoy them. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code that's locked on. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code locked on to try it for free today. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. The Texans are playing the Saints tomorrow night or tonight depending on when you listen to this podcast that's a big one for us definitely need the saints to pull off the win at home in a game they are favored in to help the dolphins draft pick next year we are all in on 2020 if we weren't already we definitely are now and the Bengals and washington both almost pulled off upset wins on the road today although i think washington might have been at home but that would have been a nice couple of wins in this tanking competition but nonetheless I think the Dolphins are still in the lead after losing 59-10 to to the Baltimore Ravens on opening day at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. And one thing that might speak to the actual targeting of Tua Tungavailoa in next year's draft is the extension of Jesse Davis right after you trade left tackle Laramie Tunzel and then you move Davis over to left tackle because I tweeted about this when the contract extension occurred on Saturday at $5 million annual Jesse Davis would be the 13th highest paid right tackle this year 15th next year and 16th in 2021 it's the 17th highest value among all right tackles his guarantees come at um, come in at 14th most among right tackles as a right guard he'd be the 20th highest paid guard on an annual basis but you go over to the left side and those numbers are significantly lower. He's barely even in the top 32 as far as highest paid tackles in the league if he's a left tackle. And if you have a left-handed quarterback like nobody else in the NFL would at this point, if you do get to a then you all of a sudden need a higher priority at right tackle compared to left tackle. Although I do believe you do have to have two good players at those positions in this league to make an offensive line function as one good solid unit. Now, most offensive lines are not good, but the ones that are good probably 
probably have a pair of good tackles. And Jesse Davis, I guess if he was your fifth best lineman, you might be okay. And this contract says that he has to be one of those guys going forward. Now there is an out in the contract, but giving him $8.5 million guaranteed and a $4 million signing bonus kind of keeps him it kind of keeps him in line this year or keeps him motivated this year because he was about to head to the free agent market next offseason. After this season, there's no way he would have wanted to come back. The Dolphins show some good faith to get him here. And is he going to be the left tackle? Is he going to be a right guard? I have to imagine that the idea, the plan to get Tua is to keep Jesse Davis at left tackle. So he gets a three-year contract worth $15 million eight of that guaranteed. In this game, I thought Davis struggled. I thought his kick slide was too slow for the position. He has to get faster. He has to get quicker. He's better working in space as a run blocker and just in the run game in general. And that does kind of vibe with the type of team this Dolphins regime wants to build, especially when you have Tua able to see that left side of the formation and protect himself in a way. But it sounds like Jesse Davis is in the driver's seat right now to be the left tackle going forward. And that might not sound like a great idea, but what it does, and you can refer back to the Laramie Tunzel idea that maybe this team didn't want to put all their resources in one offensive lineman because if the other four guys are no bueno, then your offensive line still sucks no matter how good Tunzel is at left tackle. And with Davis out there, you can now spread the money around because you're not paying $80 million to one player. And you can go out and sign a Brandon Scherf who is long apart or far apart, quote unquote, using air quotes from a new deal with Washington. You can go out and draft a guy like Tristan Wirfs, who I watched on Saturday of Iowa, just a mountain of a man that can play both left tackle and right tackle with length, bend, athleticism, and anchor and strength. He looks like an ideal pick with that Houston Texans pick later on. You can get yourself a center and maybe the draft with Creed Humphrey and come back and develop Michael Dieter at left guard. You can really repair this offensive line in one offseason, but you're probably going to have to use one or two of the parts of this year's line, and maybe that's Davis at left tackle, maybe that's Dieter at left guard, and you replace the other three positions going forward. Around the rest of the National Football League, if you guys want some good news on top of the Jets getting their butts kicked, or I guess blowing a comeback, Cam Wake got two sacks on Baker Mayfield on Sunday, and that gives him 100 for his career. So a big, big congratulations for Mr. Cam Wake. Very well earned. I hope he goes to the playoffs this year and gets himself his first career playoff victory. I talked about Tristan Wirfs of Iowa. That dude is freaking awesome. Watched him on Saturday. His teammate, AJ Epinesa, was equally awesome. He is a defensive end who would be a top five, top 10 type of draft pick on the defensive line if the Dolphins are so inclined to go in that direction. The number one player in the country is probably Ohio State's Chase Young. Watched a little bit of his highlight clips. He was dominant. I saw Grant Delpit in the LSU game. He kind of annoyed me for, I thought this was a guy that likes to fly around and be active and make tackles and big hits. He kind of shied away from some contact at times. We later found out that he was injured. Maybe that was kind of why, but he didn't play his best game. But Joe Burrow on the other side, the quarterback, my goodness, he sure did. He's put himself in the conversation of the top level quarterbacks, which we're going to talk about right now here. Talk about the four top quarterback prospects heading into next season, how they performed on Saturday. But first, real quick, my Cougs pick up another win and prove to 2-0 on another four-touchdown, 400-yard performance from Redshirt Senior making his first and second starts of of his career. And Anthony Gordon, the Cougs win big again. We have a game next Friday against Houston for the rights to the name Cougars for your football team. 
Go Cougs. All right, let's go ahead and jump into the recap for week two college football quarterbacks, top prospects in 2020. We're looking at Tua Tonga-Vailoa, Jake Fromm, Justin Herbert, and Jordan Love. You guys can find these articles up on LockedOnDolphins.com. Tonga-Vailoa was 16 for 25 with 227 yards, three touchdowns, and one rushing, so give him four total. This guy just continues to make plays regardless of what happens around him. I know he has elite talent around him, but there were some instances of poor pass protection where he had to make something happen out of nothing. He did that all game long. The QB1 traits on display. Check out his video thread along with all the video threads in this article. Jake Fromm had another easy day. 10 for 11. Buck 66. One touchdown. He just kind of has to turn around and hand the ball off and make throws when they need him because that offense is so loaded in the running game. Justin Herbert had a big one. 19 for 26. 310 yards. Five touchdown passes in the game. Some of his inconsistency showed up early in the mechanics and the accuracy, but he came right back and delivered five straight touchdown passes on five straight drives after two drives that led to no points for Oregon. They destroy Nevada and Jordan Love beats the crap out of Stony Brook 62 to seven. He goes 25 for 34, 294 yards and one touchdown made some really, really highlight real type of plays, some Josh Allen type of plays from his time at Wyoming. Go check out the videos on that. Next week, Tungavailoa has a conference game. He's at South Carolina. Fromm has Arkansas State at home. Herbert has Montana at home. And Jordan Love is on a bye. And college football Saturdays might have to be what gets us through because right now I'm watching the Patriots off to my right and they are up 30-3 to on the Steelers. So the NFL might not be much fun this year, but this podcast will be with you guys the entire time. We'll have these breakdowns and talk about the future of the team and give you an idea of what's happening in this tank all season long. Stay with us. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow with the film breakdown and aftermath pro football focus edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. It still fins up. Slitting my throat aside.